Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Today, we have a special episode recorded live at We Have Ways Fest. Mosquito pilot Colin Bell was our first guest, and he absolutely brought down a packed house. First main event, I suppose, is um, Colin Bell, DFC. Uh, Mosquito pilot in the Second World War, um, 100 years young, uh, he was up till two o'clock last night drinking. Um, and again, I'm not joking either. He really, really was. So what we're going to do is we're going to invite Colin up now. You hear Colin? Hop, I'm going to hop down for reasons. Feet knees together, elbows in. <laughs> he did it. Well done, Colin. <laughs> Standing ovation. Yeah. I think they're pleased to see you. Yeah. Do you want to take a few here? Yeah. So take that seat behind you. Yeah, okay. You'll, you'll have to speak loud and slowly. I'm going to speak very loudly and very slowly, and you're going to be able to hear me perfectly. Good. <laughs> well, that's so, a relief. So yeah. how we're going to do this is I'm going to um, uh, just chat to Colin for a minute or two and then we're going to pretty much immediately open it out to you guys and Al is going to be roving around, picking out your questions and relaying them to me and to Colin. Yeah. Um, but Colin, uh, just behind you, I don't, know, I don't want you to crane your neck too much, but... That's there, right, I can see it. There's the mosquito. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for me, it's one of the great planes that was ever ever designed and built you would presumably concur yes well um i was in love with the mosquito from the very first time that i had the privilege of flying it the mosquito could fly faster than any german propeller driven aircraft and um in fact in the early stages the mosquito could fly faster than a spitfire although the Spitfires eventually overtook it. Um, yes, it was a wonderful aircraft, and uh, if you had to fight a war, um, you couldn't be flying a better aircraft than the Mosquito. Does that answer it? Yeah, I think it does pretty yeah. well, actually. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I mean, I know you flew over Berlin 13 times. I mean, it, it's very hard for us, all these years later, kind of to imagine what on earth that must have been like? Well, it was a bit hairy. <laughs> 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 
because there are no two ways of putting it. Uh, if you were going to be shot down, uh, it was more likely to be a courtesy over Berlin than anywhere else. Uh, not by fighters, although in point of fact they did have Fokker Wolf 190s sitting up at 30,000 feet in the hope that they'd be able to swoop down and pick you off. And if they were successful, um, they were granted two kills. So much did the uh, Luftwaffe uh, value the Mosquito as an adversary. Um, but yes, but the real problem over Berlin was anti-aircraft fire. It was um, very accurate and it was lethal. And um, they could give you a very, very nasty time. And I remember on one particular occasion, I foolishly allowed myself to get trapped and a shell landed underneath my aircraft and um, it turned the whole of the back of the aircraft into a calendar. Good job we didn't arrive there a little bit later or else it would turn us into a calendar too. Um, a, a red calendar. Uh, but that being so, it lifted the aircraft up and it stopped both engines. And uh, my navigator, uh, who was a wonderful man and usually very, very calm and collected, turned to me and said, what do we do now? Which I thought was rather a silly question. <laughs> and I said to him, well, we wait, don't we? And we waited, and after what seemed like six months, um, the, um, the engine started again. And I had another look at my navigator, and I said, uh, Doug, um, you're not frightened, are you? And he said, no, I'm not frightened, I'm bloody terrified. <laughs> and I, that was probably the worst episode I had over Berlin, except when I was chased around by a jet fighter, but that was a, that's another story. Oh, well, you know, do tell. Huh? <laughs> do tell us the story of you and the jet well, fighter. Well, um, the, the German jet fighter, the ME262, could travel 100 miles an hour faster than us, so it was a bit deadly and of course it got enormous armament if they could ever get a visual on you you were dead and they did a single blast would just cause all the aircraft to disintegrate on the spot uh, I once saw an aircraft that was caught by a 262 and it, it, it literally turned into confetti uh, however we were at night and uh, I had uh, a, a radar detection equipment on my aircraft, uh, the Mosquito, uh, which picked up any air-to-air -air radar. And the indication on the dashboard was a white light. And I'd already agreed with my navigator that if we saw the white light come on, uh, I would take immediate action. Uh, well, the white light did come on. And I immediately dropped down 10,000 feet to get, get outside his radar, and it worked. But um, it only worked for a few minutes because his ground control vectored him onto me again, and on came the white light. And whatever I did, whether I went up 10,000 feet, I turned to 90 degrees and went down 10,000 feet, uh, this damn white light would keep coming on. So I thought, well, I take him down to ground level or near ground level 
uh, because I knew that if you did this, you'd use up a great deal of fuel. Uh, jet fighters down near the ground mop up fuel at a tremendous rate. And I knew this guy had only got 45 minutes from takeoff to returning to his base. So after a while, although the white light kept popping on and off, uh, eventually it went out and he obviously had to return home. Uh, so that, that, that was a rather, a rather anxious time, I must admit. <laughs> uh, but there we are, that's war, and you have to get on with it, don't you? And it has to be remembered, too, uh, that this is a war of survival, because the Germans had some very nasty uh, plans what they would do with us uh, if they ever succeeded in subjugating the country. And I won't go into detail, but it was pretty horrendous, I can tell you. Um, and I always like to make this point whenever I talk to an audience such as yours, that the whole purpose of Bomber Command was to destroy the German capability of attacking us. And when I mean us, I mean our men, our women and our children. And no more than that, we were fighting in Bomber Command a defensive war. And uh, I think we come under a lot of very unfair criticism from youngsters who know no better. Thank you for that. And there's one further point I'd like to make is that our young critics would never have come into existence had we not won the war. <laughs> So, Al, have you got any questions up there? Well, let's see. Um, uh, does anyone have a... Well, immediately we have a hand straight up. Um, uh, I'm going to guess your name with my Darren Brown power. It's Ryan Diamond, <laughs> alias the Night Irish. What's your question, Ryan? If you had to trade in your mosquito to fly something else, what would have been your second choice? Another mosquito. <laughs> 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 well, that's answered that one. He walked right into that trap, didn't he? <laughs> right. Um, in, uh, in terms of the mosquito, what marks of mosquito did you fly? Mark 4, 30, etc. Night fighters? I had the privilege of flying a Canadian-built Mosquito 25. Uh, it was a very efficient aircraft, not as good as some of the others that were built over in this country. We had Packard Merlin engines, and um, they suffered from one slight defect. They had, um, they, some of them had weak conrods. Do you know what a conrod is? I'm sure you do. It's the thing that collects the, uh, uh, well, it's a connecting rod to the piston. And, um, if you were taking off at full power at night and you'd got, um, you'd got uh, a full bomb load, full petrol, flaps down, and you were, say, undercarriage down, and you were two, two or three hundred feet, um, if an engine failed, really, there was, there was no hope. The only thing you had to do was to go in ahead and die like an officer and a gentleman. <laughs> And uh, uh, this did occur to a couple of chaps 
of the squadron, uh, very sad. Uh, one, lay, one navigator lay awake all night with his uh, pilot dead at the controls. Um, so, of course, we had the engineer from Packard's down to explain to us what he was going to do. And the long and short of it was they were going to take these uh, engines out of commission and uh, they would reinforce with stronger conrods and problems solved. And one of our numbers said to our flight commander, how long will this take? And the flight commander said, I've been advised that this might take as long as three months. And he said, and what do we do in the meantime? He said, just go on flying. <laughs> you know, there was no let up. We just had to win this war, and we did. And as I say, thank God we won. There we go. A guy whose name appears to be East Bay Trademark uh, <laughs> and Crafted Schooner. Okay, right, what's your, what's your name and what's your question? Uh, hello, Colin. Tony Hamilton, you're an absolute legend. Uh, we know of larger bomber command crews were thrown together in a hangar to form up. How did you and Doug get together? Oh, we got together by a very simple process. Um, there were a hundred of us in a room at Royal Air Force Witten and uh, 50 navigators and 50 pilots, and um, um, uh, the wing commander said, I'm coming back in an hour's time, and I shall expect all you guys to have crewed up one pilot, one navigator. And he went out to slam the door, and <laughs> some, some chap jumped up on a stool and said, who wants a drunken navigator? And I thought, well, I don't want him. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'd been out in America uh, for about uh, well, two and a half years, part of that time training to be a pilot and getting my wings. The rest of that time I'd been instructing American cadets. So I'd, I'd had quite a long period of time and built up quite a number of hours uh, before I came to a squadron. Anyway, uh, I sat in this room and I kept seeing people crew up all over the place and I saw one miserable looking guy sitting at a table. He was quite an old man, he must have been all of 27 or 28. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, he'd got a Canada flash on his shoulder and I walked across to him and I said, uh, um, have you crewed up with anybody? Nope, he says. So I said, uh, what's your background? And he said, well, he said, I was a navigation instructor at Prince Edward Island. And I said to him, you found yourself a pilot. And that's how we got together, James. Yeah, <laughs> simple as that. And you got on very well, didn't you? Got on very well. He's the best, uh, he was the best navigator on the squadron. And he, he was an ex-lumber jack. And despite his humble beginnings, after he left me, he went back and he took a degree at McGill University in forestry and he finished up, I believe, as president of the Forestry Commission. So you see the caliber of the man. I was incredibly lucky to have him uh, as a navigator. And as I modestly said to him on one occasion, he's probably lucky to have me as a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you were pretty experienced by then, weren't you? You well, had a lot of hours on we your We were both network. experienced, weren't we? Yeah. And I think, I think it was our experience that, uh, that saved us. But despite that, we nearly got caught by an aircraft fire. Mm. Yeah. Well, you nearly got shot down by yeah. some women. It was, a, a, well, it was really a matter of luck, uh, James, when you were subjected to that intense anti-aircraft fire, whether the, you, you copped it or not. But uh, what about the time when you were flying back and you were having a, a, a few Zs? Ah, yes. Well, uh, you see, the mosquito at 25,000 feet could fly, almost fly itself if you trimmed it up it would stay on course for quite a while before you had to check it and get it back on course. And I must confess that I'm quite capable of going to sleep at a drop of a hat. I mean, I could go to sleep here if I wanted to. <laughs> and um, um, so I, I used to say to Doug, my navigator, I'm going to have a little nap, Doug. And, and now you, you, if we get off course, just give me a nudge, and if we don't get off course, when we get to Downham Market, the base from which I operated, um, give me a nudge and I'd land the damn thing. Uh, uh, as simple as that. But what I hadn't allowed for was the fact that uh, on the way back, there was a, uh, well, I can only describe it as a bloody great bag under our starboard wing, and um, uh, it woke me up, and it certainly woke Doug up, and uh, he, he said, what was that? And I said, well, it was a shell, of course. And uh, we wobbled all over the place, but it didn't do us any harm. And when we got back, I spoke to the intelligence officer, and he laughed, uh, very unsympathetic. He said, uh, <laughs> he said, you flew over, he said, a training school. He said, an artillery anti-aircraft training school. And... Um, he said it was staffed almost entirely by German women. And he said they were only allowed one shell a night. <laughs> and he said they saw you come steaming over uh, like a couple of naive characters. And you went straight over their guns and uh, they'd been polishing them up before you arrived. And um, uh, he said they let go. And uh, I said, yes, and they damn nearly brought us down. Very good shooting but we made absolutely certain we never went near that place again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, well, who have you got there? We, we have another, another question. question. Uh, yeah. What's your name and... Stu. Stu from Durham. Mr Bell, on behalf of everyone here, I would like permission to buy you a beer, if you'd accept. Well, um, I, I think if everybody here bought me a drink, I should... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really wouldn't get home, and uh, I'm... Uh, I'm rather keen to get home, so thank you, but another time. <laughs> yeah. If you were flying for the other side, what plane would you have chosen to fly in? Oh, I think if I'd been chosen to fly on the other side, despite its, uh, its unreliability, I'd have chosen to fly the ME-262. Um, it, uh, it was a wonderful aircraft. You might be interested to know that um, Dan Snow, the interviewer, once asked me to go across to Biggin Hill 
and uh, me to Luftwaffe pilot. And I said, I don't think I want to. Oh, he said, come on, you'll have a free meal. Well, you know me, I'm, always, <laughs> I'm a sucker for a free meal. And so uh, I said, OK. And when I arrived at Biggie Hill, they pointed out this rather frail gentleman. And uh, um, somebody said to me, he's had 50 cures. I said, I don't want to see him. And they said, oh, no, it, uh, it was on the Eastern Front. I said, Russians, oh, well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> so um, I met up with him and we, uh, we had a chat and uh, I think we've got a picture somewhere with uh, arms around each other, which I suppose is rather nice. But um, uh, while I was there, while I was there, somebody said to me, um, would you now like to see the German paratrooper? And I said, oh, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> so I, I, they, they pointed to some villainous-looking character on the other side of the hangar, and I walked up to him and I said, I understand you're the German paratrooper. And he said, no, I'm not. He said, I'm Ted the taxi driver. <laughs> I'd got the wrong man. <laughs> But, but what did you make of the German pilot? Did you, I mean, have you, you... Well... He was all right, was he? He, he was, as I say, a rather frail-looking old uh, geezer. But um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, he said, quite rightly, he said, you were doing your duty, I was doing my duty. Uh, he said, um, that's really all there is to say, isn't it? And I suppose, in a way, that's perfectly true. But unfortunately, the, uh, the Luftwaffe was backed up by the Gestapo, and when they had finished with you, they got murder squads. So uh, there was more to it than just looking on the Luftwaffe as the enemy. As far as I'm concerned, the whole of the German nation was the enemy. And uh, uh, they, they were very keen to defeat and enslave us. And there's no, you know, we must never forget it. Where are you now, Al? There you are. This could get tricky. Hi, uh, Chris from Manchester. Uh, what do you think of 633 Squadron, the film? <laughs> Very stirring music. <laughs> Some lovely flying shots. The, the content, of course, is nonsense. How are you Greg from Pembrokeshire. Um, did you do any flying after the war, after you left the Air Force? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Um, after, I, after I left the Air Force, I did quite a lot of flying after I finished operations. Um, I flew out of Black Bush, still flying mosquitoes, um, delivering diplomatic airmail to various uh, embassies all over Europe. And that was rather... Uh, interesting, uh, because I, I f used to carry along uh, a fair quantity of Times newspapers, and uh, it was wonderful if you went into an uh, officer's mess, say, down in Athens, and with a Times newspaper tucked under your arm, uh, because 
very senior officers would come across to you and say, um, is, that a, is that a Times newspaper you've got here? And I'd say, oh yes. And they'd say, um, remember, I was only a humble flight lieutenant, and some of these chaps were major generals. And then they'd say to me, um, uh, well, when you finish with it, I wonder if you'd be kind enough to let me have it. And I'd say, yes, I said, fair enough. And then the next question, which I was expecting, was, uh, by the way, what's the date? And I'd say, oh, it's today's date, you know, so, so well, uh, it was worth a lot of drinks at the bar. <laughs> yeah. Your top three mosquito raids of World War II and why? Well, it's difficult, really, to state with certainty. I mean, the mosquitoes carried out some amazing raids. I mean, they, they attacked the Gestapo headquarters, I believe, in Holland and... Uh, and in Copenhagen. And in Copenhagen. Uh, they, uh, they attacked the Amiel prison walls so that uh, people could escape. I, I, I settled on Amiel. Uh, probably because I know more about it than anything else. Um, Amiens held a whole lot of resistance workers and um, I think it probably is generally known that the Germans were getting ready to exterminate them all. They dug a mass grave in anticipation of machining gunning them all to death. I think there were about two or three hundred in Amiens prison and uh, we got calls for help from the resistance and they asked us whether we could uh, uh, bomb the prison walls so that at least some of them could uh, escape. Um, uh, there were three squadrons. The first squadron went in to destroy the, the, the quarters where the guards were. The second one was to breach the walls and the third one was in reserve, such that if uh, the first two operations failed, they would flatten the entire prison, because it was known that amongst the resistance workers were a lot of people who held a uh, great deal of knowledge of plans for the invasion and so forth and so on. So that was a fantastic raid, and... Um, uh, uh, I went there after the war, the invitation of the resistance, and um, the French do these things rather marvellously. They, um, they had a, a march from the square up to the prison where a resistance worker read a, a, a tribute to everybody there that was involved in it, and then I marched up with the rest of them to group Captain Picard's grave because he was the masterminder that was running the show and uh, he stayed there too long and he got caught by a Fokker Wolf 190 and shot down together with his navigator Flight Lieutenant Broadway and their graves are in Amiel's Cemetery and I had the honour of placing wreaths on their graves. Um, they are very brave men. Yeah. Hi there, I'm uh, Chopper from Parts Unknown. 
Uh, what role did you play in your flights over Berlin and did you have to train for multiple roles? I was in the light night striking force and we were sort of, uh, we, when, the, when the markers went down, we would deliver bombs on the markers ahead of the main force. Um, we also ran the spoof raids. We would go and um, go to a city which was not the main target and we would drop flares to bamboozle the Germans into thinking that this is where the main attack was coming. And then the fighters would come after us. Uh, and when they realised that they'd been tricked, uh, they then had to go back to base to refuel before they went after the main force. Uh, so it delayed the attack on the main force. Um, we, were, we were what was known as spoof raiders. And did you have to, I mean, before you joined Bomber Command, how did you train for that role? Well, I, when I came back from America, I went to a place called Spitalgate out near Grantham because I wanted to train as a night fighter. I thought nothing could be more satisfying than infiltrating the bomber stream and picking out uh, German night fighters and destroying them. But um, I waited and I waited and I waited and I could never get a posting to a night fighter squadron. So I became rather impatient. And when I had an opportunity of um, volunteering for mosquitoes in the Pathfinder group, I snatched it with both hands. Um, and why do you think you didn't get selected for night, being a night fighter with all that experience that you had? What's that? Why do you think you weren't selected to be a night fighter when you had all that Well, experience? it wasn't a question I wasn't selected. I think that the, uh, the night fighters uh, weren't suffering very many casualties. Right. So the, the opportunities of getting posted to a squadron were few and far between. I, I don't think it was because they disliked me particularly, although I would have grumbled if they had, but um, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it, the, the opportunity wasn't there. Whereas I did have the opportunity of joining Bomber Command, and uh, I'm very glad I did. I think Bomber Command did a fantastic job. They destroyed the Tirpitz, they attacked the V1 and V2 sites, they attacked Pienemunde, and as I said, they spent a large part of their time destroying the German capability of waging war on us. And I can't think of a better role than that. Yeah. Well, I think we've got time for one more question. So the last question. Hello, Colin. Matt Bone. Um, you got reunited with the Mosquito a couple of years ago with Rod Lewis's one. What was that like after all those years? Well, it was brilliant. Um, I went down at the invitation of Rod Lewis uh, to San Antonio and he got a refurbished Mosquito. It'd been refurbished in New Zealand. And um, I, uh, I just jumped at the opportunity of being carried around as a passenger uh, by this uh, very, very great uh, American pilot, a chap called Stu. Uh, Stu flew the Mosquito damn sight better than I could, but um, uh, 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 we took off and uh, it was a wonderful experience. And uh, when we got to about a thousand feet, he caught up control 
And um, I remember very clearly what he said. He said, control. He said, it might surprise you to know that I've got this 98-year-old uh, mosquito wartime pilot beside me. And control replied, uh, pilot, holy shit. Colin, thank you so much for making all the effort to come up and catch. What a treat. Thank you. For filmed versions of all of our festival talks, sign up to our members' site. That's patreon.com slash wehaveways. See you next time.